was a kid, we played a game, probably a lot of you played this game. It was kind of a little barbaric, but we had a lot of fun. It's called King of the Mountain. We, we did a lot over the beach, actually. We'd go over to the beach, find a mountain, stick somebody up on top. And we played it a lot of ways, probably the most cruel way is we'd just stick somebody up on top. And you did everything you could to take that person out and uh, dismember him, breaking arms or whatever. It was fair game. And, and the reason we did this, it was actually, we had, some, we had some fairly heavy deals in this. If you won, you get to order everyone the rest of the day. If we went over to the coast, I remember we would, whoever won, they didn't have to pay for lunch. And so eh, people will fight when there's money involved. And uh, we, we enjoyed that. Um, it's a little cruel. We'd come out with, you know, a little bloody nose once in a while. And, but we wanted to play king of the mountain because that person got bragging rights for a long time until we went back over to the coast. When Paul was writing about Jesus, he didn't use the same language. He didn't, wasn't playing that game. But that's really what he was saying. He says that, and through the spirit of holiness, Jesus was declared with power to be the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead, he was validated. Jesus Christ is Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus is the head of the mountain. He's the king. He's Lord. It not, would have not been a, an uncommon thing for people to call somebody a Lord. And, and they would understand that if you're a Lord, you're somebody who has authority or somebody who has control. You have power. You're, you have mastery. And, and, and as just little kids, we would do the same thing. You had control. You didn't have to pay for lunch. And, you know, you got to order people around. They had to carry your stuff. And we'd sometimes go over there to the beach before football practice. And we'd, we'd play. And you had to carry the other person's, you know, shoulder pads. And so we, we played that crazy game. And out of it, we would always have one person who had, if you will, mastery. Jesus is Lord. When Thomas recognized that, he recognized something that is beyond just control and mastery. He says in the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, he said that you are my Lord and my God. In other words, for Thomas, Paul Jesus is Lord is not just a statement of his position of authority. It is his statement of deity. He's God. And because of that, it begs a question. If you've been with us for a couple of weeks, we've been going over the names of Jesus. And we started off with Jesus. It was the name given to him by the angel. His parents named him that. It meant salvation. The one who would come to save. The one who would come to cleanse. Then the next one was Christ. Christ was an Old Testament prophetic picture of the Messiah who was appointed by God. Sent to save us. But also, as the scripture says, to form this thing called the church that we're all a part of tonight. Both of those are what Christ is going to give us. He's going to save us. He's going to call us into the church. The last one that we're going to look at tonight in this triad of Jesus Christ the Lord. It's different. It's different because it's not what Jesus is going to give to us. It's what Jesus demands of us. Do I recognize that he's Lord? And what does that mean? 
David, probably the most well-respected and distinguished king of the nation of Israel, um, you know, none of us can even come close to what he, I mean, we may think we're king of our garage, but that's about it. The fact is, David was king of a nation, and, and yet at the same hand, he had this capacity because of the, how he was raised and what he did to kind of relate to everyday average people. And he put those two together, a king who is a shepherd, and one day he wrote a psalm. It's, it's a song to the Lord that the church would sing and, and they would recite. And we know it. It's probably the most well-known scripture passage in the Bible. It's Psalm 23. It's the statement of a shepherd who was a king wrestling with the implications. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Now it's one thing for you and I to come to that place, but it's another thing for a king to say, what does it mean for me that Jesus has final authority, has all control, mastery of my life. David began to unpack that, and it really comes out of the first five words. Jesus, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? I think number one is it's a statement of dependence. David has been a shepherd all of his young life. He knows what agriculturalists, what farmers would tell us today, that the sheep is probably the most vulnerable animal out there. The only thing a sheep has going for it in terms of defense is if they're in the middle of the herd and there's a large herd and whoever is going to get them, it's going to be a lion or it's going to be a bear, kind of attacks the edges. And that's their only defense because they cannot really defend themselves against virtually anything. It's strange that God would use a sheep to describe you and me. Maybe it's because he understands something that we need to understand. We're fairly defenseless when it comes to the enemy. We're defenseless. We are dependent. David understood that because he said, I shall not be in want. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside quiet waters. You restore my soul. All of those are things that God does for a very needy and weak individual. And the reality is we don't like that. We really don't. We don't like being dependent. We have the declaration of independence. We have this passion to declare that we, we're in charge. But God knows all things. We don't. God is wise. Pastor Nate talked about, you know, wise men still seek him. But the reality is, in comparison to God, we're not wise. We're as dumb as nails. We have no idea. We, we try and predict the weather. We can't figure it out. We try and figure out what's going on in the future. We don't know. God knows all things. What we know is that we're dependent. Even though our culture loves our independence. For the first time in my life, I got to serve in jury duty. <laughs> Some people hate it. I was like kind of excited. I'd never done that before. I got to sit there and so the defense counsel came in and we were all sitting there as a jury and we'd yet to be selected. Again, I didn't know. I kind of thought I'm sitting in the juror's chair. I was ready to go. I want to hear. In fact, I just want to say, man, this person is guilty of sin. I can tell by looking at the individual. 
<laughs> I got the gift of discerning spirits. You don't even need to listen to you all. Well, they asked and they went around and said, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. I knew at that point I'm out, <laughs> but I'll play their game. So we went through this process and the individual, <laughs> interestingly enough, um, was arrested for resisting or getting in the way of police officers doing their job. Well, so they went around and the defense attorney, she looks at, at everybody and said, how many of you believe in the freedom of speech? And I put my hand up. Yes, I do. And then she said, um, and she looked at me and I don't know if she looked at me like, ah, he's a pastor. I got to get this guy off. But she said, um, do you believe in freedom of speech all the time? So, well, generally speaking, I do. You know, I suppose, you know, as you well know, you can't yell fire in a room or, you know, crowded room. That's illegal. So our, our speech is, has some restrictions. And she said, do you have any other illustrations? And I said, well, yeah, I do. If that judge right over there said, jury number 481, I want you to pipe it. I would. If he told me to be quiet, I would. You know why? Because I respect his authority. I respect his position. She looked at me and it wasn't too long after that said, jury number 481, you're dismissed. <laughs> why? Because we want a world where I get to decide when I speak and I want to be able to speak every time. David understood that Jesus is Lord. It's a statement of dependence. It's a statement where we tell God, I need you. You're wise, I'm not. You're all knowing, I'm not. You're all powerful. I can't even keep my car on the road when the ice comes. I'm not all powerful. I am an incredibly dependent individual, just like a sheep. And it is the statement of arrogance is to tell God, I don't need you, I got this. I'll speak when I want to speak. David, one of the most powerful individuals the world had ever known, said, if, if God's your shepherd... If the Lord is your shepherd, then you're willing to say, Lord, I am a dependent person just like a sheep is, and I need you. It's also a statement of ownership. This is where I think David is leaning into the fact of what he did as a young kid. He was a shepherd. And David had done what every shepherd had done. You go out to herds today, and you're going to see them. They, they, they'll have a tag in their ear. You go to a dairy farm, it's, that cow's going to have a tag in their ear. Why? Because uh, that shepherd, that dairy farmer, wants to make sure everyone knows that's my cow. They've marked it. It's got a chip in it. That chip tells you all kinds of things. They didn't have those tags. They didn't have those chips. And so when David went out to his herd, he had a mark just like every other shepherd. And he would take his knife and he would etch that mark into that sheep's ear. So that if David took his 150, 200 sheep and mingled it with another group of sheep, he knew in a minute, them 10 over there are mine. Don't you dare be taking those things home. They have my mark. David understood it. 
a shepherd, you own these things, or he's, his dad owns them. They're not free roaming. They're not up for grabs. They're not to the highest bidder. They're mine. David said, when you confess that Jesus is Lord and the Lord is my shepherd, you're making a statement about ownership. You don't own yourself. I don't. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is writing to the church and he says, don't you understand? You're bought with a price. You're not your own. You don't get to direct your own life. You don't get to decide where you're going. God has complete rights to you. He has complete ownership to you. Why? Because he bought you with his blood. If you could imagine... Some guy comes in and steals 10 of your sheep and you hear that the guy's going to sell them and he's turned them over to the auctioneer at the local you know, auction house and you go down there and say, hey, hey, auctioneer, you can't be auctioning off these sheep. They're mine. It's got my mark. You can look at the mark right there. I'll tell you where it is. And those 10 sheep, they were stolen. And the auctioneer looks at you and said, hey, tell you what, possession is 90% of the law. We have them. You don't. If you want them, you can buy them back. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, this is the dumbest world I live in. I shouldn't be buying those sheep, they're mine. Whatever that auctioneer drives that price up to on that day, and if you were to buy them, that's exactly what Jesus did. When Paul was writing to the church, he said, don't think for a moment you own your own life. You don't. And God will never apologize to you or to me if he asks you to do something that's hard. If he asks you to move locations, if he asks you to sacrifice significantly, why? Because he owns you and he owns me. And when I confess that the Lord is my shepherd, just like David, I'm recognizing that God has ownership of my life. Sometimes I think people are a little, if you will, sheepish about their Christian faith. They're, they're a little afraid to tell people that they're a believer. You shouldn't be. You should be very amazed and and thankful at the fact that God bought you, died for you, and made you his own. And God, who created the heavens and the earth, is willing to say, you're the sheep in my pasture, and I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to have a rod and a staff, and they're going to direct you, and at times I'm going to discipline you. But in fact, if you go down, I'm going to prepare a table before your enemies. Now, I don't know if you have any enemies, but if you do, I got good news for you. It's because you're in God's sheep pen. And if he's Lord, he owns you. And if he owns you, he has a vested interest in you. And he's going to protect you. And his rod and staff, they're going to guide you. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a statement of ownership. Finally, David understood that when you say and believe that the Lord is our shepherd, it's an admittance of a personal relationship. When I was a little kid, people would always ask these questions. You know, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And to be quite honest with you, that just like went over my head. I'll tell you why. I know what it means to have a relationship with my friend Blake. 
I, I know what it was meant to have a relationship with my mom. She, she raised me. I lived with her. Uh, but the idea of having a personal relationship with a God I've never seen, can't put my eyes on, that was a little bit strange for me. I can tell you I believed. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I believed he was God in the flesh. I believe he died on the cross. I believe that he made a payment to, to my debt. I believed all of that. But a personal relationship. As I began to grow, I recognized that when you have a relationship, it speaks about someone that you know and trust. It speaks about someone that you let guide you. It speaks about someone that you talk to. It speaks of a personal relationship where we're known and we know. Begin to realize. It's not enough to merely believe. That's not what God's passion is. That's not the relationship of a shepherd to sheep. That shepherd knows his sheep. He can tell just by looking at them if one's sick. He can tell just by looking at them, just the color of their eye, whether or not they're diseased, they're need to be treated. If you've ever seen this, it's one of the coolest things in the world. A shepherd can go and put their sheep in with 500 other sheep. And all that shepherd has to do is to go up there and to call his sheep, whatever call he may use. And they hear his voice. They know his voice. And without one touch of those sheep, they'll call themselves out of 500 different sheep and follow their shepherd. Why? Because they have a relationship. That shepherd has loved them. He's protected us. He's fed us. They have a relationship. That's what Jesus invites us to. And Paul understands that when Jesus is your Lord, it's It's more than just ownership. It's more than dependence. It's a relationship where we talk to him. I don't have a whole lot of favorite Christmas movies. um, And I have no idea whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I'll let y'all fight that out. But uh, there is one I know is a Christmas movie. and, And it really is a delightful one. I love it. I've watched it again this year. It's called The Last Holiday. This lady, she gets... This bad news from a doctor that she's got three weeks to live. And so she cashes out all of her money and she's going to go to, I think it's Prague. And she's going to go over there and just live it up. And so she does. But all the way through, probably what captured me about this movie, the very first time I watched it, is her relationship with God. She talked to him. She talked to him like he's real. She complained to him. She asked questions like, why? Why God? Why, why me? Why do I have to die? Why do I have to die before all the possibilities of my life could, could bear out? Why, why do I have to die before I get married? Why do, I've done all of these things. Lord, I honored you. I did this and this. And, and she talks to him like God is real and he's interested and, and he's going to speak back. And she sometimes in the movie, it's really, it's just delightful. She smiles at him and she plays and jokes with God. You don't do that if you just believe that God made a payment to your debt. If he is a technical God indifferent to you, running the world doesn't really have time for you. Well, that's not the picture of a shepherd and a sheep. 
That shepherd walks from one field to another and those sheep go with him. It's like they know him. They know his voice. And he knows them. That's what David is saying. If the Lord is your shepherd, it means you get to talk with him. Complain to him. Trust him. Because it's a personal relationship, just like a shepherd to a sheep. The story's been around for years. I I love it. Because it depicts a lot of things about my life that I love as a pastor. One night, as the story unfolds, there was a pastor that went over to a family's house. Their young son was ill and most likely was going to die. And the pastor went over. He walked up the stairs. Mom and dad stayed down in the living room. And the pastor went and spent a little time with this boy. He, he never spoke to him that night. Never said a word. Pastor spent some time with him. Went downstairs. Told the family, I'll be back in the morning. And he did. And when he got back, the news was shared with him that the young boy died. Mom came up to the pastor as they were sitting there just in the living room and he was praying with them and just grieving and listening. And she said, Pastor, there's something strange and I don't have any idea. It seems like it's not accidental. But when our son, when we went upstairs and he had passed away, he was grabbing his hand. His right hand was around kind of the ring finger. He didn't have a ring on it. He wasn't married. He's a young kid. And she said, it was almost like it was intentional. And we don't have any idea what, why he would do that. Do you have any idea? And the pastor said to them, oh, yeah. He never spoke to me that night. He, 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 he was semi-conscious, but he, he didn't have the capacity to speak. But I told him, I said, if indeed you're about to die, I want to make sure that you know where you're headed. And so he grabbed the little boy's hand and he took the most familiar text in all of the Bible and he just simply said those five words, the Lord is my shepherd. And he grabbed the little boy's hand and he said, as he grabbed his thumb, it begins with thee. It's, it's a unique and a distinct God, like none other. The Lord, and he grabbed his index finger. And that Lord is supreme and he's our ruler and he is God. And he grabbed his middle finger. But then as I shared with you at the beginning of the service, there's a decision you have to make. And though God is a creator of all things and the most powerful personal God in the world, there's no power, there's no rival. He doesn't force you to believe him. You have to ask him to be my shepherd. And the pastor told that little boy that night, if you die and you want to wake up in the arms of Jesus, then you need to ask Jesus to be your Lord. And you just grab that finger. And that's your commitment. God, I am dependent and I need you. And the pastor told mom and dad that night he didn't have words he couldn't speak he was too ill but he did have a choice and I want you to know that your son asked Jesus to be his Lord 
And he died holding on to his finger. My friends, you and I have that same opportunity and that same question. When you say that Jesus is Lord, you're saying he's king of the hill. And he is king. He rose from the dead. And whether you trust it or believe it or not, it doesn't change a thing. He rose from the dead. But if you want him to be your Lord, king of your hill, then you have to ask him. I want you to bow with me just for a moment. I know it may feel a little childish like a kid, but I want you to do that. I want you to just reach over with your right hand, grab your your ring finger and just your fourth one in. Because like that little boy that night up in his bedroom, every one of us, Jesus could have risen from the dead. He can be the ruler of the world. But he gives you the right of whether or not you want to accept that. And I want to invite you like that little boy is just to grab that finger and say, Lord, I am dependent. I can't save myself. And I want you to own me. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I want you to be the king of my hill. I pray that in Jesus' name.